sermon audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. I'd like to tell you a story about uh, a true story that happened about a man who went to China on a mission trip. This was about uh, 20 years ago, and he took a group of students with him. And the purpose of the mission trip was to engage with the Chinese culture and the Chinese people um, through sports. And by engaging them through sports, he would be, uh, the group would be able to have conversations with people and share Christ with them and, 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 to, and to talk about the Bible and, and, and to do it under the umbrella of sports. And everybody loves sports. So uh, the, the group would go into these Chinese middle schools, it, you know, kids aged you know, 10 to 15, and they would, um, they would introduce themselves and they would go to the sports class or the, the football pitch or the basketball uh, court and they would, um, they would stand in a circle and, and they would all introduce themselves. So the Americans would introduce themselves first, and then the Chinese students would introduce themselves as well. And so the, the, after the Americans had introduced themselves, the Chinese would go one by one and say their name. This was a great opportunity to practice their English. So they would say, hello, my name is Lee, and uh, they would also add, and my American name is Johnny. Now, I didn't know about this tradition, and those of you that come from China, you may, you may know about this, but many people in, uh, in, in China have two names. Those of you that come from China, I've met in our church, will say, this is my name, and I have a hard time pronouncing it, and they say, but you can call me Katie. And I say, okay, that's really easy, thank you. <laughs> um, and so they were in this group with all these students, and they go one by one, my name is, but my American name is Eric, or my American name is John. And they went through, but occasionally they would come to one student who would say, my Chinese name is Lee. I do not have an American name. And of course, my friend who was leading the trip, he didn't know what to do. It was this very sad moment. So he quickly went over to the student and said, Lee, from now on, you will be known as Kobe Bryant. And the student would go, really? Yes, your American name is Kobe Bryant. Thank you so much. And so he was so happy. And then the next student would say, my name is, but my American name is, and this would go on. And, and then by the end of the, you know, the day, many students were saying, well, I don't have an American name. And, and so my friend started telling all the names he could, and then he ran out of people he knew. And so he started to say, well, um, your name will be Jennifer Lopez. And then, oh, thank you so much, thank you so much. And then uh, this went on for days and days, and so by the end, they were just running out of names to think of. And so finally, they, the last day, there was a, a very small boy. He was the smallest boy they had ever seen in the middle school. And he said, my name is, whatever his name was, but I don't have an American name. And so my friend thought the only right thing to do was to say, Lee, your American name is Shaquille O'Neal. And so the rest of the day, that little guy walked around, and he was Shaquille O'Neal. He was so excited, right? So I'm not sure if 20 years later, there's a group of 30-year-olds going around China named Jennifer Lopez, Ben Affleck, and Shaquille O'Neal. But there might be. Our friends had a huge influence on these students for the short time that they knew them. Now, influence is one of those things that we often overlook we don't always know um, the footprints we leave in other people's lives. And in this silly example, my friend and his group, uh, they had a lot of fun and they got to meet people and, and engage them and laugh together and tell stories and it was a, a really special trip. And one of the influences they left behind were these names that they gave away. 
Well, today, we are going to look at the first six chapters from the book of Daniel. Now, you probably already know this, but the first six chapters of Daniel are some of the most well-known stories in the entire Bible. I can prove it to you, because I'm sure you've heard of Daniel and the lion's den. You've heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You've heard of the writing on the wall, or the madness of the king, or the Jewish exile into Babylon. Those are all from the first six chapters of Daniel. And, you know, we teach these to kids a lot. I mean, the kids in the room probably have heard at least three or four of these six stories from Sunday school. They're perfect for Sunday school, um, and we use them a lot to teach kids because there's a lot of character lessons. But one thing we do that's not great about the life of Daniel sometimes is that we sort of drop in like a helicopter and we tell one story in an isolation and then we fly off the next Sunday and teach something else. Or maybe you know about the fiery furnace, but you're not so familiar with uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's transition from being a pagan king to being someone who actually believed in some ways in the God Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, the Jewish God. That's another story that's mixed in. And the only way you really get the whole picture of Daniel, his life, and his influence is to look at it as a whole. Now, unfortunately, we can't go into all the details today, but this is what we can do. We are going to look at three of the stories from the first six chapters of Daniel, and I'm going to try to draw for you a red thread that connects these three stories together. And also, I'm going to give you some homework at the end of the service today that'll help you continue to understand this red thread for yourself. So we're going to look today at the influence of Daniel during his exile in Babylon. Now, the Oxford English Dictionary describes influence as the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone or something. And I believe that these stories we're going to look at demonstrate the way that Daniel had a great influence on foreign peoples while he was in exile. Now, how did he have an influence? Well, I've broken it into a four-part memory trick. So this is where the kids will remember probably better than you old people, okay? The kids will get this, all right? This is a four-part memory trick, okay? The way that Daniel uh, influenced the people he was around was through a four-step process. And this was through, Kudzai, you can put this on the screen. I, I wrote it down for you. Through having a deeply held belief or conviction that inspired his actions and then created an influence around the people in his life and his circumstances that had a lasting impact. And if you need help remembering it, it's the same four letters as the most delicious candy bar in Denmark. All right? A dime bar, right? Deeply held conviction that led to an action that made an, uh, influenced the people and the circumstances he was in, and then it, had a, um, it made an impact on the broader context of the story he was in. So we're going to keep these four things in mind as we look at these three stories today. D-A-I-M, I think this will help us identify why Daniel was so effective. So, a little context. Why was Daniel in Babylon? Daniel was a Jewish young man from a noble family. Some people believe he was directly descended from uh, King David and King Solomon. He was in the royal family. It doesn't say exactly, but it says he was a member of the royal family. And it also says in chapter 1 that when the Jews were taken into captivity, that King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to take the best of them from their families and re-educate them. 
He wanted them to become Babylonians. So what he was going to do was take the best-looking, strongest, um, most intelligent, most gifted individuals out of their culture, and he was going to re, um, re-educate them as Babylonians. And it says in chapter 1 that they would serve in the king's palace, and they would, they would learn from the king, and they would learn the history of the, per- of the Babylonian empire, and they would serve in the king in many ways. So, Straight away, it says in chapter 1, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to serve the king. And as we carry on, I want to show you some parallels between the situation that Daniel was in and the situation that you might be in living here in Denmark. Now, I don't think you were probably dragged here while your hometown was sacked by an ancient army. Maybe you were, I don't know. But you have come here for one of many reasons. And I suppose you could look at your situation in Denmark, if you are from somewhere else, as being a bit of a, 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 an exile. You're away from home or your family or your, your, your office back at headquarters. Or for some reason, you are here and you have the opportunity to be very influential in the lives of others. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Daniel, his story, the influence he had, and then we're going to close by looking at how we might be able to take inspiration from Daniel's life to influence others in our lives. Now, you may be a kid and say, this isn't for me, this is adult stuff, but I think you'll find there's a lot in this uh, story, in these stories, that will inspire us no matter how old we are. So let's pray together, please. God, I ask that you would be with us today as we look at your scripture and we look at your servant Daniel and his life, that we would be inspired by the example that he sets us, that we would learn more about you and who you are through him so that we may live a life of obedience and also have a great impact on our world today because we are following your example. Amen. So, chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, please open to chapter 1 of Daniel. And as I mentioned before, Daniel is in exile. He's been chosen by the king to be trained to become a... um, to become a, a servant in the house of the king. He's, he's uh, probably a very uh, fit, good-looking, and uh, an able young man. And one of the first things that they do is they ascribe them a menu, right? He's, he's going to eat specific food that the king decides is right for him. And look at what Daniel's reaction to this is. As an outsider, you know what it's like. You never want to offend your host by saying, oh, sorry, I don't eat cheese, or you know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like vegetables, or whatever. You, you don't want to do that, right? But yet, the first thing Daniel does in the presence of the king is this. Cap- verse 8 says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. We can ask ourselves, why? Why would you not want the best food that the king has and the best wine that the king is offering? I mean, it sounds great, uh, it, it sounds like what we would all ask for. But the reality is, is that this was a pagan empire and a pagan king with pagan religions and many gods who uh, they often offered sacrifices to. So we don't know exactly why Daniel uh, did not want to have this food with, along with his three companions. But chances are it had something to do with it violated the Hebrew laws about food from the Old Testament, from the early books of the Bible. After the Exodus, God said there were some things you weren't supposed to eat. And in their context, probably there was something he shouldn't eat, otherwise he would violate the laws of Moses. Now, the other thing that is possible is that this food had, might have been food that was sacrificed to other gods, to false gods, 
and was now being eaten in the house of the king's um, family and, and of these students. And so Daniel decides he's not going to eat it. And so what he says is this, please test your servants for 10 days. This is cha- uh, verse 12. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with those of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So the official agreed, and he tested them for 10 days. So basically, Daniel and his three friends, they go vegan, okay? They said, you let them have the the best wine, the best food. We're going to eat vegetables and waters. In 10 days, test us and see if we're not as strong as the others. Verse 15 says, at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice foods and the wine and they gave them dr- and, and that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. So I'm not sure how these other guys felt about being forced, uh, forcibly made to become vegetarians, um, but, the, uh, but the reality was is that God uh, followed through. Uh, Daniel was faithful to what he believed to his conviction and God showed up and made sure that they had the strength that they need. Verse 17 says, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So Daniel was faithful, and God therefore gave him and his three friends, who would be called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he gave them insight and wisdom. So let's go back to our D-A-I-M what was the deeply held uh, belief that Daniel had? He would not defile himself. He was not going to violate the laws of God. Secondly, what was the action that he took? He respectfully spoke up to the officials and asked permission not to eat what the others ate. Notice that he asked permission. He didn't say, I will not do this. This is my religion and you can't force me to do it. I won't do it. What does Daniel do? He's much more politically savvy than that, right? Those of you who've ever talked to a boss about a, a change in your contract or a change in your situation, you know how much further it goes when you come in respectfully, casually, or whatever it is, and you ask, is it okay? Would you consider? Would it be all right? Would, could we talk about this? Then saying, I will not do this, right? Daniel decides to do it respectfully. That's the action he takes. The influence is now the king and his officials that there's something special about Daniel and his three friends. Maybe they don't know exactly what it is, but they can tell that these are respectful young men with lots of character. And the impact is that they earn the respect of the king. And in in verse 18, it says, at the end of this time, the chief uh, official presented them to King Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them and found that there was none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding, in which the king had questioned him, he found them ten times better than all the other magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. So now these four outsiders are in positions of influence in the kingdom. So they didn't have to reject their culture, their God, their faith, in order to find a place of influence. In fact, that's what got them their place of influence in the first place. Chapter 2. Let's look at a second example of how Daniel's character created influence. Now, this is the story of, in chapter 2, this is the story of 
Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Now, I wish, I wish, I wish we had like 10 weeks to study Daniel because the story of Nebuchadnezzar's dream deserves about three or four sermons. And I really encourage you that if you haven't looked at this prophetic dream of Daniel's, that you go back and you do this on your own because it's fascinating. And there's a lot of good literature and resources online where you can learn about the meaning of the dream and things like this. But it's essentially Nebuchadnezzar is having trouble sleeping and he is tormented by a dream that he cannot stop thinking about and no one can interpret it for him. And so he calls Daniel to help him, um, to help him interpret the dream and Daniel does something incredible. He not only tells the king what dream he's having, but he also interprets, interprets it for him. But before he did that, if you look at uh, verse 17, it says this. It says this, Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mysterious dream was revealed to Daniel in a vision, and Daniel praised the God of heaven, and he said, Praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. So, Daniel realizes the king is in a bad state and he is going to kill all of the wise men in his kingdom because no one can tell him this dream. And so Daniel's first uh, decision is to go home and pray about it and then talk to his friends to pray for it as well. And in the night, God gives him insight into this dream. So we see something fascinating about Daniel is that in that moment of crisis when he's probably about to be executed with all of these wise men, rather than panic or try to come up with a clever solution, he prays. He takes time to consult with God who gives him insight and wisdom. And so when he tells Nebuchadnezzar the dream, you know the story about the statue with the head of gold and it's crushed by the rock. When he tells him the contents of the dream, Nebuchadnezzar falls prostrate before, sorry, falls prostrate before Daniel. He falls prostrate before Daniel and pays him honor and orders that an offering of incense be presented to him. And the king says to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords and the, and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery to me. And so the king places Daniel in the high position and lavishes him with many gifts and made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of the wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the court. Now think about this. Just a few years before, Daniel is in exile, taken from his home in Israel to the Babylonian Empire, and uh, you know potentially he is uh, about to become a slave, or he's be- going to become some kind of a uh, you know an exile with some low-level um, you know position in the in the culture. And here he is, three or four years later, he is the king's right-hand advisor. And we see that this doesn't happen in a vacuum. What deeply held belief does Daniel ex- uh, exhibit here? It's that he turns to God as his source of wisdom and knowledge. He prays to God for insight and wisdom. He doesn't turn to the other wise men and say, how can we get out of this thing? How can we convince the king not to kill us? He doesn't turn to the military leaders and say, guys, the king is going insane. He's going to kill all of us. We need your help as generals to come and speak common sense to him. No, Daniel turns to the Lord. His action that he takes as a result of this deeply held belief is to pray, to meditate, 
and then to speak up using his gift of prophecy. I can't imagine how intimidating it would have been to speak to the king and say, king, here's your dream, this is what it means, eventually your kingdom is going to end and another kingdom is going to take over and, and another kingdom after that and you know, eventually it's all going to be crushed by this stone that wasn't cut by hands. I mean, it's a great mystery that Daniel describes and yet he does it with confidence and he does it without fear. So his deeply held belief is that God has all knowledge, he acts on that by speaking truth to the king. The influence is that Nebuchadnezzar says, the God, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery to me. We can see the king Nebuchadnezzar is changing a little. Before he was curious about these Hebrew guys, now he is saying, your God is, there's something to this God you worship. I'm not sure what it is, but there's something to this. We'll see how that changes again in the uh, uh, later story. In fact, if you read the next chapter, Nebuchadnezzar goes a little insane, and actually a lot insane. We're not going to look at that today, but we see at the end of chapter 3 that Nebuchadnezzar has gone completely 180 from where he was in chapter 1. Curious about these Israelites and their God and uh, their Torah and, and all this stuff, he's and he's kind of said, who are these guys? And then he says, your God is, 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 is a great God among the other gods. And then by the end of chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar has changed significantly. I highly recommend that you read about the madness of the king. But we're going to jump ahead to chapter 6. Daniel and the lion's den. You've probably heard this story. If you've been going to church for uh, your whole life, you've, been, you've heard this story a thousand times. But let's think about it today in the context of influence. See, Daniel started out as a promising young man. Then he became a trusted uh, prophet and a trusted uh, person that could read dreams and he could counsel the king. Well, the Babylonian Empire has fallen now in chapter 6 and the Persian Empire has replaced it. And yet Daniel is still in a high position as an advisor to the royal court. Um, but now, there's something you may have experienced in your own life. There's some jealousy there's some political intrigue. There are other advisors and other magicians, so-called magicians, who are not happy with Daniel because of this high position he has. And they know that he is a man of integrity, and they can't trap him in some kind of infidelity or, uh, or scheming. There's only one way that they can trap him with the king. If you look at verse 3 in chapter 6, it says, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And this is King Cyrus of Persia. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find ground, grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct, conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with his God. It's classic. It's palace intrigue. They're going to set Daniel up to, to fail. They know that he is a good leader. They know he has high integrity. How are they going to catch him in the act? They're going to set him up. And so they convinced the king that for a certain amount of time that no one should worship anyone else except for the king and his gods for this amount of time. 
because they know Daniel won't do this, the king says, yes, that'll be the law for the next 30 days. We're going to do this. And, and, um, and so they know that Daniel will still be praying to Yahweh, to the God of the Bible. And, and so uh, they, the king makes the law, and then they sneak into Daniel's house, and they open the door, and they say, gotcha. You're praying to God. You're, you're looking towards Jerusalem. You can't do that. You're caught in the act. There's a price to pay. You're going to go into the lion's den. The rest of the story is, Daniel goes into the lion's den. The king is saddened that he has to put Daniel into the lion's den, but he can't change his law. He, he, he's sad that he has to do this because he loves Daniel. He, he, he tries every way he can to get Daniel out of it, but, but he can't. So Daniel goes into the lion's den, and you know the story. He's, he's going to be eaten for sure. I mean, lions are hungry and unpredictable and, and vicious. And, and, and in the morning, the king rushes to where the lions are, and he says, Daniel, Daniel, has your God saved you? And he said this. Oh, excuse me. Uh, and he, he, he goes to the stone and he says, Daniel, Daniel, are you alive? And Daniel says, I'm alive. And, and, and this convinces King Cyrus that the God of Daniel is not just one among many other gods, that this is something extraordinary, that Daniel's God is unlike any others. And so after he finds him there, I want to read to you from verse 25. King, I'm sorry, I said Cyrus. I meant to say King Darius. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and people of every language... Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. He said, may you prosper greatly, said Daniel. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So once again, Daniel had a strong belief, all right, the D, a deep belief, a conviction that he would not worship the king when his, the Ten Commandments and his faith and his belief system said there is no other gods besides God. We will not worship idols. The action he took was he prayed to Jerusalem like he always had, um, and he prayed to God alone, not to idols or to the king. The influence was that the king saw a strong character. He saw the corruption and the foolishness of the others. And he saw a bit of who God is. Notice that he said when he praised Daniel, he said that his is a God that saves. And the impact is that now a third king has seen how Daniel's faith and strong belief influenced his actions and caused an incredible, miraculous result. First, there was... King Nebuchadnezzar, then there was his, uh, the king that followed him, and then now we have Darius. Three different kingdoms influenced by the integrity and character of a single man. D-A-I-M. I hope that when you see this candy bar now in Netto and you're checking out, you're already tempted to get it, but now maybe you'll uh, think of it in a different way. A deep belief that inspired an action that allowed influence to happen, and it made an impact. D-A-I-M. Now, every sermon should have two parts. It should have the, uh, the encouraging part, where your faith is encouraged by the reading of the Scripture. Really got to shave or something. You should be encouraged by the stories of Scripture and by the truth in the Scripture, but then also 
a good sermon should help equip you for life. And as I come to an end today, I want to encourage you to consider this. You are Daniel. You are Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. You are an exile, a stranger in a strange land. If you are a Christian, then your home is the kingdom of heaven with God, with Christ. But for the time being, you are here on earth. And so in a way, you're, you're a stranger in a strange land. What kind of influence are you going to have on the world around you while you're here? Will you be like Daniel? Will your deeply held convictions inform your actions and therefore create influence in a world that didn't expect to be influenced? My question for you is this, what are your deeply held beliefs? What, maybe you've never thought about it. Maybe you kind of know what you believe, but you've never articulated it. And then you've never thought about how can those beliefs actually take form. If this describes you, then I want to encourage you that this is one of the reasons that the church exists. The reason that we have life groups and the foundations of faith class and the baptism class and the reason that uh, your pastors are available for counseling and for coffee meetings and, and conversations, the reason you have life group leaders is that you can work through these questions of what do I believe? I think sometimes when you've been in a culture, even a church culture for a long time, it's easy to forget to stop and ask yourself, what do I really believe about money? What do I really believe about war? Or what do I really believe about X, Y, Z? What are your firmly held beliefs? Secondly, maybe you don't believe that you have any influence. In your life, you're just, you're just trying to make it through the day. You've got, you know, your job, and you've got your kids, and you've got groceries, and you've got the car, and, and it's just, you're just trying to make it from Monday to Friday without killing someone. You don't, your only influence is just trying to maintain your own orbit. Well, let me challenge you to reconsider that. You know, I heard someone say this last week, that every single one of us is a disciple of someone, whether we know it or not. And every single one of us has disciples, whether we know it or not. It's not just the moms and dads in the room that are making an influence and impacting the people in their house. All of you that have a job or live in, a, in an apartment or a house or travel on public transportation or go to the grocery store, all of you have influence in your world on the people that you come in contact with. All of us do that. The question is, what kind of influence are we having? If you don't think that you have influence, I would say, I'm sorry, but respectfully, you're wrong. Consider 1 Peter 2.9. Kudzai, can you pull, pull that up, please? 1 Peter 2.9 says this. This is Peter writing, and he says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Listen to what he says there. He says, you are royal priesthood that you may declare the praises of him. The priesthood is, is it means that there are, there are things within the spiritual life that you, that you administer to others, you share to others, you speak truth, you counsel those that are suffering. That's what it means to be the royal priesthood. Or consider Ephesians 2.10 that says, we are God's handiwork 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. There's good things you're supposed to be doing. And you may be going, I don't know what that is. But that's why your brothers and sisters in Christ join together in a church community to help you figure that out. Created to do good works. Or maybe you're a kid, a young adult, or a high school student, and you say, this is something that adults do, parents do. But remember 1 Timothy 4.12 that says, do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Do not neglect your gifts. doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. God has an opportunity or has gifted you to influence others. So here's your homework. I promised you homework. I said homework and everybody went, huh? Here's your homework. I want to challenge you this week to do two things, to make two lists. Good eye, can you put the next slide up? This week, I want you to think about what are five deeply held beliefs that I have. Now, I've given you examples here. It does not have to be these five. But this could be a place to start. Who do I believe that God is? Who do you really believe? And this isn't a a statement of theology from your church. This is you personally. What do you believe? Who do you believe that God is? What do you believe that Jesus has done for you? What are the most important relationships in your life? What do you believe is your spiritual gift or gifts or your greatest personal strength that you bring to your community, to your church, to your family? And what is something you want to accomplish with your life? These are just examples to get you started. But write these down. Talk to your spouse about these. Say, I am Austin. This is what I believe. There's this great radio program in America. It's been around for like 100 years where people go into a recording studio and it's called This I Believe. And they literally just say, I believe this. And so they may be a farmer and say, I believe this is the best way to plant corn. Or they may say, I'm a mom and this is what I believe about this is the best way to raise kids. It's just people saying what they believe because what you believe transitions into the actions that you take, right? So that's part one of your homework. Part two of your homework is much easier, I think. Write down the names of five people that you are already influencing. Now, if you're a parent, you can only use your kids for one of those. Who are five people that you're influencing, okay? Then, here's my, the end of the homework. Pray about how your five deeply held beliefs might influence these five people. Now, who goes on that five list? People that you already have relationships with. This is not an attempt for you to try to go out and make five new friends this week, Okay? although I'm sure you'd be excellent at it. Who are five people who already come to you for advice, for counsel, for help, who ask for suggestions on work or kids or fashion or whatever, or travel? Five people who already look to you for help. And how could you use your deeply held convictions to influence them? There's one piece of extra credit for the kids of all ages. Your extra credit is this. 
Go back to the other three chapters of Daniel this week. That's chapters 3, 4, and 5. And try to identify the D-A-I-M in those chapters. I'll give you a hint. The chapter about the fiery furnace, it's not about Daniel. It's about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So as disciples of Daniel or or as, as students of Daniel, you'll have to identify those for them. But look at those three chapters and see if you can see the deeply held conviction that led to the action that caused influence and created an impact in their lives. I want to remind you one thing, and I'll close with this. Remember Jesus' final message to his disciples before he left them. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and influence all nations. Influence them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I will be with you until the very end of the age. This phrase we use, discipleship, in church, it's a church word we use a lot, and, and sometimes we don't always know what it means. We're going to be talking about that a lot over the summer. And one way to think about discipleship is influence. I'm allowing myself to be influenced by Christ. I'm his disciple. He's helping me change the way I think about work, relationship, money, sex, war, everything. Because we see over and over again in the Bible that God doesn't just want part of us. He wants all of us. And we can only effectively influence others when we are allowing the Spirit of God to influence us as well. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts, Or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBCCPH. Thank you for listening.